0: Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International.
1: Thank you for listening to the Activate podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International here in Lee's Summit. Uh, My name is Ryan. I'm on the ministry team here at Journey and the host of the Activate podcast. Uh, We're in message 15 of 16 of our Jesus People series. Uh, This message is titled, You Go First you finish strong. Bible text we're still in still in Matthew 12. Uh, if you're listening for the first time, welcome. We're glad you found us. Hopefully a friend or family member uh pointed you to it. We'd love for you to rate it. It always helps us as we continue to try to reach people and help people activate their faith. First thing, Royal's home opener this week. Uh coming up. Uh excited for that. Is that tomorrow? It's
0: tomorrow, yeah. yeah. So we're we're recording this on wednesday time, yes. april 6th so lord willing if the weather holds off it's going to be really cold yeah yeah the royals open another 162 with the cleveland guardians at 310 out yeah. of kaufman yeah i will not be there but no nope. i will be there in spirit yes yeah
1: i will be tuning in to check some scores but yeah so not not a super spiritual start but an important <laughs> uh fact the season was a little delayed but we're we're excited it's off and running uh, Pastor Mike put on a, a mental health workshop, uh, workshop yep. this past Saturday on the heels of, right, your interview with, speaking of Royals, uh, the announcer Ryan LeFever. Yep. What's your hope for those who attended and those who will watch the recording of this event?
0: Gosh, I think two things, Ryan. I think, one, um, that people right now struggling with mental health, very specifically if you if you read the research, stress— anxiety, depression, isolation, loneliness. Those are things that that aren't easily cured, but those those are things that I think can begin to be comforted by just like raising your hand and saying, that's me, hey, I'm really stressed, could you pray with me? Hey, I'm facing some discouragement and depression. I'm trying to figure out, like Ryan said, if my life situation is depressing, and I I need some help and some friends or whether, you know, I'm suffering with a, with a clinical depression, uh, the loneliness of saying, you know, I realize I need more people in my life. Uh, the stress of just saying I can't run at this pace. Like I don't know that there's an easy cure, but I think in conversation there's comfort. And I think my first goal for what we did with Ryan on our mental health compassion day. And then what we did with Mike at our mental health workshop was just acknowledging And giving permission to people. Hey, if you're struggling, ask for help. And then I think for the parents and friends of people who have friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers who are struggling with areas of mental health, just knowing how to lean in, knowing how to ask questions, knowing what to say and what not to say. Ryan talked a little bit on Sunday about like, hey, like some of the things you say don't make things better. They actually make things worse. I think just normalizing a little bit. Uh, that the mental health stress and depression and anxiety and struggle is real right now. And just in inviting the conversation into a healthy manner and saying, we think like everything else in life, Jesus says, bring that to me and I can help. So I think presenting Jesus as the answer and, and providing room for conversation, which I think can be comforting and the beginning of healing. And there's some great resources. uh, Phenomenal resources that Pastor Mike and his team put together. Phenomenal resources that Becca Alvord, our student ministry director, put together for parents who have kids struggling with depression and anxiety. I think we've done a real good job of resourcing people who've reached out and said, where do I get help? Yes.
1: So you can you can actually watch it. We recorded those sessions, so you can, uh, you can check that out. We'd love to uh, use those to en- encourage you and help you. So it's Palm Sunday this weekend. Yeah, yeah. So can you share for our audience, some people understand it, some people don't, just kind of the spiritual significance of Palm Sunday?
0: Yeah, so several things. One, if you walk in the atrium of our church, you're going to see four big banners that tell the Easter story. You're going to see a palm leaf. You're going to see a cross. You're going to see... Uh, a tomb with a stone rolling away, and then you're going to see a bird, which is very specifically a dove. Uh, The palm leaf obviously represents Palm Sunday, the cross, Good Friday, the tomb, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, which would happen 49 days uh, on the 50th day after Passover uh, or after Jesus rose from the dead, um, signifying all those things. Palm Sunday was the day biblically that Jesus rode into town, on the heels of raising a man from the dead, pretty publicly, a friend by the name of Lazarus who'd been dead for four days, who lived less than two miles from Jerusalem, and who Jesus very, very publicly called out of the tomb to present himself as one who had power over the dead. As he later in the week rode into Jerusalem, they they hailed him as the conquering, coming king of the Jews who would once and for all overthrow them overthrow the might of rome and allow israel to exist in freedom as a global world power again the crowds chanted hosanna which literally means save us now Uh, they laid their palm branches and their coats uh, on the road what you would do when a visiting dignitary would visit your town Uh, they were literally teams of people who would go out and do road construction because all the roads were dirt roads they would clean clean off all the animal manure and they would fill in all of the holes, and they would level out any of the places where like mounds had built up. They'd clear off all the rocks. So it was symbolic of cleaning things up and getting things ready for the king who's riding into town. That's what Palm Sunday is symbolic of, a crowd of people who invited Jesus into town as the king of the Jews. Uh, of course, we know five days later that same group of people, when they realized Jesus was not the conquering military king they had hoped for, and that they wanted, uh, many in the same crowd would um, would crucify him because he was of no value to them. Uh, but Palm Sunday is is Palm Sunday is the glimpse of what it will look like one day in the world when the world truly does recognize Jesus as King, and literally is willing to take the cloak off their back or the palm tree. Uh, the palm branch off the tree and lay it down and say, we want to do anything and everything in our power to prepare the world for Jesus to come.
1: And this Sunday we'll celebrate, especially with, um, and we have since the inception of our church with a special baptisms. Uh, We've got quite a few people getting baptized, uh, telling their story of how Jesus transformed their lives. Yeah, really,
0: really two ordinances. We'll take communion Mm -hmm. together as a church. We'll acknowledge the Lord's supper on this passion week, which Jesus and his disciples would have taken on Thursday night We'll do it on sunday morning at church and then the other ordinance of the church baptism uh, which is again uh, both of them are an identification and an association of jesus one with his broken body and his blood shed one uh, picturing him buried and raised to life because you've died to yourself and now you're alive to jesus so we'll get to do both of those things on palm sunday to kind of kick off passion week yeah it's going
1: to be a great sunday so if you haven't been baptized maybe you know what's your next step We'd yeah. love to talk with you. You can you can email us at activate at take the and We'd love to get you started down that path to to talk about it. We'd love to celebrate your story. Pastor Christian, as we look at the message in, in Matthew twenty, or excuse me, Matthew twelve, verse thirty eight, the Pharisees ask for a sign yeah, right. from Jesus, to which he replies that the only sign they'll receive will be the sign of the prophet Jonah. You unpack this for the audience and then say this. Jesus promised he would defeat the primary spiritual enemy of the people of israel sin yeah. why why is this vital that people understand their sinfulness and acknowledge their need to deal with it
0: well it it is step one of starting a relationship with Jesus, realizing both the perfect life he lived and the punishment in the death that he died for sin, and acknowledging that you need In in, in acknowledging that you needed that. It's a really interesting text when you unpack it because Jesus is in the middle of rebuking the Pharisees for their unbelief to the point where last week we ended the message with Jesus saying, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, like if you say what God is doing through me isn't the way that you connect to God. There is no way to connect to God. And then Jesus would say, as we read kind of a little further down in Matthew 12, um, like, And I can tell your heart by your fruit, because if your heart is good, your fruit is good. And if your heart is bad, your fruit is bad. And the fact that you're rejecting me tells me like the signs of your life. Tell me that you're rejecting God's salvation. And the Pharisees challenged Jesus and said, well, give us a sign from your life then. And Jesus didn't say no. He just said the sign I'm given is not one you're looking for. The sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. I'm going to appear to have been left for dead. Swallowed by the grave. (laughs) Yes, swallowed by the grave and done permanently. But then three days later, I will resurrect. And the message to the world, like Jonah's message to Nineveh, will then be repent. Like, what's crazy is, and we talked about this in the message, Nineveh had no natural predator. And here's what I mean by that. There was no nation on earth at the height of the Assyrian Empire that could conquer them. So like no one could have showed up on the front door of Nineveh and said, you're going to be destroyed. And have been believed unless they said you're going to be destroyed because of your sin. And the people acknowledged, yeah, we are really sinful. And if we're going to war, we're going to win. But if there's a righteous God who judges sin, we're in trouble. And the people of Nineveh repented not because there was going to be a foreign army that conquered them. That was not even possible in the days of Jonah. But because they realized if there's a holy God, like we're in trouble. And then the queen of Sheba, Jesus says, look at her. She had no economic needs in the world. She needed nothing. She traveled all the way to Jerusalem. Why? Because she heard there was a man who had wisdom from God. And in Assyria, you find somebody who needs nothing except to know that their hearts might be right with God because they have so much power. You have somebody in the Queen of Sheba who needed nothing financially but still wanted to know her heart was, was right with God. And, and Jesus is like, the people of Nineveh, the only area they knew they were broken was their connection to God, so they repented. And the Queen of Sheba, the only area where she had a need was in her heart, so she came to listen to spiritual wisdom. You are not recognizing that you have spiritual need. And if you do not recognize your sin, you cannot be saved. If you do not admit that you're far from God, you cannot draw near to God. If you do not repent and say, I can't do it on my own, then you can't let me do it for you. And Jesus, like he said, when he said, blasphemy the Holy Spirit, like, if not me, there is no other answer. So Jesus is like, you would like for me to be the army that could conquer Nineveh. You would like for me to provide the economy that could shame Sheba. But I've got the same message as Jonah and Solomon. Sin demands repentance. And a holy God demands a perfect people. And you need me to connect to God. And those people were just not willing to associate themselves in the crowd of sinners. That's just not who they saw themselves as. And I think somehow we've worked our way backwards now. 2,000 years in American Christianity. Larry Osborne, who's a pastor uh, in San Diego, one of my favorite pastors, one of my favorite authors, has written a book called Accidental Pharisee. And he's talked about how in our zeal, the Christian church of today and the last 50 years, who's worked so hard to, to be righteous, to look like Jesus, to walk worthy of who Jesus has called us to be, We've kind of set ourselves up as the righteous and the world up as sinners. And we've almost, in this God and country world, recreated a little bit of New Testament Israel where it's like if we got God and we got country, we don't need anything else. And there are a lot of Christians who don't lean into Jesus for much because they kind of got everything they need without him. And that was the Pharisees, including their spiritual connection to God. They thought, I, we can do this without you, Jesus. Um, and Jesus was trying to say, I'm going to give you a sign. It's going to be a really important sign. And the sign is going to be that your sin can be forgiven and that someone who comes back from the dead can connect you to the God of heaven. But you have to be willing, like the people of Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba, to to admit you don't have a connection to God without God reaching out to you with a messenger. And that's me. Because knowledge of that truth isn't enough. And I,
1: I would say that probably for five years, from the age 18 to 23, I had the head knowledge of truth. I had right. the head knowledge that Jesus was the Savior. Right. But I was unwilling right. to repent. I, right. I didn't want to at the time. I, right. I was enjoying my life, my lifestyle. I didn't want to change it until... I finally realized I was broken by my sin. And then I repented, and the rest is history. But it took me taking it from my head to my heart to understand it. And, and maybe you're listening, and that's you. And my hope it would be that you would finally, maybe you need to pull over on the side of the road. maybe Whatever it is, you, you need to finally submit and recognize and repent.
0: Yeah, because Jesus, a spiritual repairman, will not force himself upon you until you pull into the shop and say, I'm broken under the hood. He's not going to break into your house, pop the hood, and f- fix it without your submission and your surrender. Yeah. So there is, a, there is. it's a big, big deal to acknowledge your sin so you can be forgiven of sin, so you can be healed of things that sin has done to you, and so you can begin to be set free from some of the bondage sin has left you in. Yes.
1: We can never say it enough. Why is spiritual family so important in the life uh-huh. of
0: every person? Yeah. So I think the scripture I read in Ecclesiastes 4 is, is just the best— but but I'll go I'll go a step further. So we have had an uncommon amount of deaths in and around our church in 2022. And I mean we we've, we've been doing ministry here as as a part of journey for more than 10 years now. I don't know that we've ever had a three month period. It seems like every other weekend we're we're having a funeral. And the very first question anyone ever ask when we get the phone call that someone has died is were they in a small group? Were they in a serve group? Do they have spiritual community? It is the most important ingredient to begin walking through pain. Who's your spiritual family? And we know as a church, when people have spiritual family, we almost exhale because we think, okay, they've got the secret sauce of survival. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be possible. And when they don't have spiritual family, it is overwhelming to know that they might look to a guy on the stage or a guy they've met in the atrium and think, if this guy doesn't carry me through, no one will. And we know that's not even possible for one person to do, picking up at the point of pain and carrying forward when there's no prior relationship. Ecclesiastes, Solomon says it this way. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And, like, pity anyone who falls and doesn't have anyone to help them up. Because if you fall and someone's there to help you up, you'll be okay. And if, like, pity anyone who goes to bed by themselves and is cold because, like, they're not going to keep warm. But if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. And, like, a cord of three strands is not even broken. Like, Solomon looks back across his whole life and says, man, like, the most important thing is spiritual community. You know, it's interesting just as you read through the Gospels and you see the ministry of Jesus, like Jesus could have, he could have started with the Apostle Paul and said, I'm going to duplicate myself in one person, send him all over to start churches. He could have. and Paul could have went out and got the 12. But Jesus chose instead to invest himself in spiritual community that he called his spiritual family in Matthew chapter 12. And he never sent them out alone. He always sent them out in spiritual community. And by the time the Apostle Paul came along as what appeared to be a lone ranger, even though on every mission trip he had spiritual community with him, there was this big faith community that had already been built around him. Is that, is that because Jesus knew over his three-year ministry he'd need... 12 people helping instead of one? Is it because on the night he, betray, he was betrayed, uh, he would need three to stay close to him while nine fell asleep off in the distance? Like, I don't know why Jesus did what he did. All I know is he prioritized from day one surrounding himself with spiritual community. He taught the importance of spiritual community. He called his spiritual community, his spiritual family, when he was living in conflict with his family, which in this passage, he was living in conflict with his family if we read deeply into the original languages his family came to get him because they thought he's lost his mind and this is not going to end well jesus even when he didn't have physical family had spiritual family and he looked around and he said at the end of the day as long as i got my spiritual brothers and sisters i'm i'm going to be okay and i think it's so important for us as we face everything that life throws at us to have our spiritual brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and our spiritual children and to walk and to walk through life in spiritual family that's the way it was intended that's the way it's done best and i think that's what we need to try to continue to lead people into and at our church we can't guarantee that but we got a pretty good bucket of dropping people into for spiritual community like if you complete growth track you will have two at least two Really good opportunities if you're willing to put in a little work to find some spiritual community, because you'll pop out a growth track step four with a serve group and a discipleship group immediately that have been tailored to how God created you and where you are in your walk. And if you'll put in a semester with either of those, and you might have to work a little bit to do it, but if you put in a semester of either of those, I promise you, you'll be closer to spiritual family at the end of that three or four months than you were at the beginning. Um, You and I did student ministry together for 10 years. The thing I hated most about student ministry was trying to make students from different schools be friends because you'd have someone from East who'd come up and say, I don't have any Christian friends. And then someone the exact same age from West come up and say, I don't have any Christian friends. And it's like, well, why don't you guys be friends with each other? It's like, Oh, we don't know each other. And it's like, okay. Um, But, if we could, like, help you be friends. Like, so much of student ministry felt like spiritual tender. It's like, please swipe right. Please, like, <laughs> please be, like, please let us help you make a friend. Because yeah. we knew if we could help somebody make spiritual friends, that they win spiritually. I didn't know that it'd be even harder with adults. But we've been doing adult ministry now at Journey for the last ten and a half years. And it's almost harder to get adults to make friends with other adults so they can have spiritual community than it is with students. But it is the key, Ryan. It is yeah. the key. It is the key to finding rest and freedom and hope in the hard days of life, living in spiritual community.
1: I got a text this morning from one of our men's leaders who has been pouring into his table, yeah, his guys, and he just shared this brief interaction of of praying for someone and the response that came back and he's building community there. And, yeah. and, the, and, and to look around that room and see friendship and laughter, it's like it, it's happening. So there are opportunities for it to happen and you're right. Growth track's the great way to step into that. So yeah, if you haven't, if you haven't gotten in swipe, please, right? Yeah. Get swipe get right. In. get it, get Wait in more. there. I get think, in.
0: is that the right direction? Does any, as any tender? Pe- no, <laughs> there's no tender people. Yeah. In the room. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I Just don't know anything about it. Say yes. Yeah. Say yes to groups, moving right say along. Yes to serving <laughs> uh, in this week's reflection questions. Right. Yep. Every week you put these together for to help people. Uh, for Wednesday, you talk about um, um, this. You, your key verse was Matthew twelve thirty eight, as we mentioned before. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, "Teacher, we want to see a sign from mm. you." So this was a great question. Do you have any moments in your spiritual past that you believe Jesus used as a sign to be foundational moments in your faith walk with Him?
0: Yeah, so for me, a lot. And Um, you've
1: probably journaled every one
0: of them, and (laughs) I've journaled a lot. So one 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 of my biggest faith moments was a financial moment. As a freshman at Liberty University, finishing my first semester, scholarship athletes, in the mid nineties in the NCAA were not allowed to have jobs. They were not allowed to earn money during the school year because so many colleges had created fake jobs and were paying athletes tons of money to do nothing. So you were not, you were just not allowed to make any money. So everything you made over the summer had, I mean, it like had to last until the end of the semester. And I was out of money at $3 left. And I remember that last week kind of getting ready to head into finals and some of our, you know, kind of, final chapel services having three bucks in my pocket and the entire football dorm, which at the time you were allowed to have athletes in specific areas of campus. You're not allowed to do that anymore either because they, at the big schools, they build the athletes, a million dollar dorms and the students under thousand dollar dorms are like, okay, not allowed to do that anymore. But in the football dorm, like our curfew at Liberty was midnight private Christian school at 1115. The whole dorm would empty and we'd head to rallies, which was a little burger joint that was open till midnight where you could get 99-cent cheeseburgers, 99-cent fries. And we would go every night, and like for five bucks, you could get like three cheeseburgers and a fry and something to drink. So I had $3, three $1 bills on a Wednesday, knowing um, that I was going to go to campus church, and that night before I went to bed, I was going to go to rallies, and I was going to get two cheeseburgers and a fry and a water. And then like two days later, the semester was going to be over. So they decide because it's like our last chapel of the semester that they're going to take a missions offering for some kids who are taking a missions trip over Christmas break. And they're like, we're going to pass the buckets. And if you can help at all, help. And I really felt like God spoke to me and said, you need to give your three dollars to this offering. And I'm sitting like almost in the back. So I got a while before the offering buckets are coming back and I'm thinking, I am not going to give my three dollars to these kids going on a mission trip. Their mom and dad can help them pay for the mission trip. Their church can help Like, I got to go to rallies and get my two cheeseburgers. Man's got to eat. And my french fries. (laughs) Yes, I'm hungry. Um, And I just felt this, like, wrestling match in my spirit of God saying— you could give it $3. So I remember as the offer, the kind of plastic offering buckets like we used to use at Journey when we passed the offering, as they came along, I literally remember sticking my hand in my right pocket and basically saying, here's your stupid $3. <laughs> like I threw the $3 in the deal <laughs> like a child throwing a fit. And just thought, there's your dumb $3. I'll just starve. Like whatever. You're going on a mission trip. I'll starve. Um, go back to the dorm that night. Everybody heads out. You know, hey, we're we're heading out to get some to eat. Are you coming? It's like, no, God took my money. He made me give it to a missionary. I'm not coming tonight. Thursday is the last day of classes. I go to take my finals. I run into someone. I think it was a girl in like the commons area on our classes. And she was going to check her mail, which I never did. I like didn't even hardly know I had a mailbox at Liberty. And they're like, hey, Christian, like um, we're going to go to the mailbox and go to the lunch. You want to come? And I was like. I'm leaving for five weeks. I should see if I have any mail. I go to check my mail, open my mailbox. There's a little card in it with no return address. And I open the card and it's a card that basically says, um, God, told, God told me you needed this. So just wanted to send it your way, not signed by anyone. And there was a $20 bill in there. Now, it had been postmarked like weeks before. So it had been sitting there in my mailbox but I knew God that night was testing my faith, saying, "Do you trust me?" Hmm. Like, do you trust me?" And that for me, was one of the first moments as a 19-year-old kid where I felt like God began to nudge my heart to saying, "I always want you to trust me when I tell you to give." Um, that to me was one of my first signs to say, "All the money I have is God's money. He knows where the next dollar's coming from. So when He says, "Give, I'm going to give." then I'm going to check the mail Um, and, and just trust God, just trust that God knows what he's doing. And you and I both have a hundred stories like that. But that was one of my first as a 19 year old kid where not my mom and dad's faith, where God built my faith um, and just gently nudged me and said, I got you. Uh, You, you can trust me. Those are, those are fun. And, and I encourage you to, to
1: make a list of those or to thank God for those signs when you, when you see those. Last question, what from this message would you want our audience to share with someone as a,
0: as a spiritual development moment? Probably the most important for discipleship. I, I mean, gosh, it's, it's hard because to me, both points are so important. If you don't have spiritual family, start there. Like if you're discipling someone and they don't have spiritual family, that is your, that's your discipleship step they gotta, they got to find spiritual community. If they have that, here's your discipleship step. Realize that in Christianity, the cross always comes before the crown. And when you want to wear the crown without being willing to, to, to carry the cross, uh, Christianity will not work for you long term. The cross always comes before the crown. But Jesus said, if we will carry our cross... That one day we would rule and reign with Him, we have to get that order correct, or our theology will be weak and our spiritual pain threshold will be very, very low. Yeah, no, it's a
1: great, great point, and we'll be serving for our glory and, and our purposes instead of God. So, no, I I thought that was a really great point and something that, if you haven't listened to the message yet, go back and listen to it. Write that somewhere in your Bible. Make a note of it because it is an important, important point. Thank you, Pastor Christian, for sharing. I always enjoy learning and uh, being challenged by, by what you share. Easter services are, are coming up. Yep. So Friday, there's five opportunities to invite your friends, family, or for you to come back. Maybe you've been listening from a distance. Come back uh, Friday at 630, Saturday at 5, Sunday 7 a.m., 830 a.m., 1030 a.m. So. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Again, if you haven't listened to the message, I'd encourage you to to go do so. If you're in the Kansas City area, come and see us. Uh, We would love to have you as our guest on a Sunday. Otherwise, we look forward to uh, hearing how God's working in your life. You can email us at activate.cc. Otherwise, we look forward to seeing you next time on the Activate podcast, where we challenge you to have a faith that is active.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate podcast.